0: Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingBokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. I am joined by John once again.
2: What's up, John? How's it going, Brad? Got a couple hands uh, queued up for the viewers today where there's absolutely zero theme between the two hands this week. Uh, They're not played from the same position or there's no, you know, not a... (laughs) Not two hands where I bluff the river, both hands or something like that. It's just the only common thread between the two is that I had no idea what to do in either of the mm. hands. That's, that's a good enough thread
1: for us. That, okay. That's that's a good enough thread. Sure. You're also about to go go out to Vegas, right? For Yeah, I'll be uh,
2: going out to Vegas for a little while to play some live cash during the WSOP and maybe, maybe a couple tournaments if cash is going well.
1: You think they're going to let you back in the Bellagio... Are you are you going to be able to show your face in the Bellagio poker room?
2: I'm hoping maybe like the crowd is a little bit different than it was a couple months ago, and people won't the same people won't be there to remember me. But if they are there, then I don't know. I might have to try to get, <laughs> try to get a game running somewhere else. Like, <laughs> well, you don't have a
1: mask this time, right? You'll be mask-less. no. You need a mask
2: in Vegas still. Uh, I mean, like they took it away for a little while, but they brought mask mandates back. I think like when Delta started going crazy. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, yeah.
1: Well. Maybe they won't remember the kid that ruined their game. Oh, I'm gonna need
2: a different backpack and <laughs> <laughs> like some, some new new accessories too. And,
1: and also I wanted to update the listener on your, your Pot Limit Omaha exploits. So apparently you're going to play live cash, not much PLO. What's going on with oh, that? Oh yeah.
2: I don't know. I mean I just I have spent a little bit of time studying PLO when I came back from uh uh from my last little short trip to Vegas where I Played a bunch of five-five um, PLO and uh, it was a lot of fun. And then I, I like got into the weeds and like started learning, like started looking at some preflop charts and seeing like what good c-bet sizes are and like how frequently you should be c-betting and you know all the basic stuff. And then <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I was like, "Wow, you have to play this tight to like <laughs> play properly in six-max PLO." Like I don't want to play this tight. And then I just I don't know. I just found myself pining for no limit cash again so (laughs) I'm back home you lost the lust
1: once you realized you're not you're not allowed to play all the hands that you're playing before
2: oh what do you mean I'm not allowed to open like whatever kings under the gun or something like I need (laughs) I need them to have a suit and an ace like this is this is too much (laughs) (laughs) let's
1: go back to hold them all right so no PLO tactical Tuesdays for a little while until maybe you get the bug again yeah. Um, try to get like a round and round started maybe that'll, that'll be good
2: all those games just evolve into people just wanting to play only PLO though because the PLO round ends up being so much bigger and looser than the no limit round that like after a couple hours I've just found that those half and a half games <laughs> like everyone's just like yeah why don't we just play PLO instead of like this one round of you know
1: yeah this one silly ass round of hold on yeah. exactly <laughs> um, alright so let's dive into this hand with a thread of you don't know what on earth you're doing. Uh, so you've got an ace and a five, which is typically a good hand. Uh, action starts out. Villain opens 3x on the button. We got any reads on these villains?
2: You're playing three-handed. Um, let me see. I'm getting... I, if I remember correctly, like villain definitely wasn't, wasn't a fish. Let me just pull the HUD stats up real quick. Yeah, Villain looks like a reg. Um, There's nothing really exciting to, to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: all right. Mr. Reg opens to 30. You three bet to 120. Uh, villain started with close to uh, pretty much 100 big blind stack. Villain calls, which is totally expected after three betting with your ace five of hearts. There is now 250. 250 in the pot. Villain's got about 880 left. We see a flop of 9-7 tray with the tray of hearts. You're going to start out by c-betting about half pot. Tell me about your strategy here, c-betting half pot.
2: So going to be c-betting half pot with uh, just going to be using half pot as uh, kind of my go-to c-bet size on uh, these lower non-Broadway type boards as the pre-flop three-better. Um, I think this is just going to be because like I have uh, a lot of overpairs and like strong hands that I want to push equity with and I probably won't be or no, I definitely won't be betting my entire range for the size on this board. I think it's just way too big and also just like a, a board type where I don't really want to put in this much money with all of my hands. For example, if I had like ace five of spades, I think I'd probably just throw that into the check category. Um, I don't know. I have like ace king, I think. Would probably be oh, actually no, King, I'd probably see bet a lot, but like there, there are some hands that like I, I just wouldn't want to bet on this board. Um, hands that like have like zero back backdoor equity and like you know just have like little to no chance of, of improving to uh, a hand I can value bet on the river, but yeah, this hand with uh kind of two backdoor straight draws and a backdoor nut backdoor nut flush draw is definitely going to be a hand that I am going to start bluffing with on the flop. So then, what is your check call range here?
1: Like, what hands do you start by checking and calling the flop? Mm-hmm. That are, like, not really bad. <laughs> that are not the ace, five of spades. Um, Like pocket eights. No overpairs?
2: Uh, I think most of my overpairs that I decide to check, like, I think aces would be one of the hands that I decide to check. I'd probably start check-raising. I'd be really tempted to just check-raise almost all of them. If I was going to trap with one... It would, it would probably be aces. Um, but even that one, I, I think in game, I'd just be really tempted to just check raise it on the flop. Maybe that's oh, a mistake though.
1: <laughs> I mean, just listening to you describe your strategy here, it feels like when you check, you're just overfolding everywhere across the board. Like if you check call the flop, you're just overfolding everywhere. So like I, I would certainly think about that. I think your seven X's are probably pretty natural check calls like...
2: Seven eight suited or six seven suited.
1: Uh, those don't think that.
2: Those small blind versus button, though. I don't have a lot of seven X or maybe any seven X small blind versus button. Do you have any nine X? Yeah, I have ace nine suited, nine ten suited, um, jack nine suited, king nine suited. Yeah, maybe the nine X, nine X you can start checking with as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weak, weak nine X. Okay, sorry. Yeah, that's a that's a category of hand. Like my weakest nine X for sure would be. Uh, a check call, um, like my nine tens and jack nines, for sure. Okay, but yeah, just maybe like, all of them. Maybe you're right. Maybe all of them should just go in the check call bucket. I mean, it's kind of the same thing as I mean, it's not that different from having eights.
1: Yeah, I don't think you're going to be checking here. Like with your, the strategy you described, I don't think you're going to be checking here that frequently because there are three different suits on the board. So, like all of your suited hands, the only ones that you're checking with are the spades. So, like ace king, king queen. Uh, king jack king 10 queen jack queen 10 jack 10 of spade actually jack 10 is probably betting because you have a gut shot overs um so those are checking ace five of spades is checking um then your ace kings and your ace queens you're gonna have a fair amount of those combos do you bet your ace king with backdoors i think
2: that that would be the one that i'd i'd probably bet is just like the ace king with like backdoor whatever flush draws and then check the side based on the button sizing with all my other combos of ace-king and ace-queen. Yeah. It just feels
1: like, to me, you're, you're checking based on the strength of your hand. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just basically checking all your weak hands, your weakish hands, and then betting your strong hands.
2: Yeah. Now that I say that out loud, it does sort of feel like, like what you said. Like, my checking range is just going to be like, you're gonna be able to run over my checking range um, on this board, but
1: it doesn't feel like it. That is what's going to happen. <laughs> like that—that that just is. And then if you if you like check raise your aces, well, then your check call range is just
2: not good either. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, how would you recommend like changing, like, a c bet strategy on the swap? Would you just like c bet a third with range and just call um. It? Probably probably enough. just go to
1: chasingpokergreatness.com slash coaching and book a session. I think this would take uh, this is probably going to take like quite a while to you know construct construct a more viable c betting strategy here because we would just kind of like need to see what the ranges are, run multiple sims, look at some mass data, and then sort of see how often villains are probing versus check. Uh, how often we're check raising like you know the, the thing about out of position strategies is like they're just so much more complex than in position strategies because like if you check now all of a sudden you're like you're, you're splitting your range into like bets and checks and then when you check you're also going to split your checking range into like check calls check folds and check raises mm-hmm. and then like once you check call you need to have some like hands that can check call turns as well and it just gets very, very complex. And I know that like, yeah, I just think that it would it would take at least an hour, probably longer for us to, you know, really
2: flesh this out in a way that I think is good. Okay. Yeah. So like maybe like one, I mean, obviously the easiest simplification is just like one third with range, which I know from experience is not the end of the world to just, I mean, it's not even bad. Like it's definitely winning money to just one third with range. Um yeah. That would be the simplest one. And then I think like the next step or like the next iterate like the 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 upgrade to that would be like having a checking range, but not having not having check raises. So just check folds, check halls, and leads.
1: Yeah, because um, as soon as you say like, oh I would just check like check raise by overpairs, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. well now we're like carving out another range. Right, that right. We're like check raising with and check calling and, and betting. And so, I, actually, I mean, that's the easiest simplification, right? Like for these complex spots, just range bet a third and kind of go from there. I think yeah. then you're just worried about like your turn C bet, uh, C bet range, which is a lot easier to manage. Right. Right.
2: Okay. Oh,
1: well,
2: I don't know. I guess like what I'm kind of the phase that I am in right now is like I'm really trying to make an effort to like upgrade from that range one third. Strategy, which like I don't know, like I, I I know that I can execute that, and like that's it, that's just kind of been my go to like bread and butter strat in three of my pots, but i I don't know, I'm like hopeful and uh well,
1: whatever you're trying to do about, like, right listen, now
2: <laughs> this ain't it, <laughs> this ain't the upgrade this' I mean whatever, I mean, like maybe I'm not betting enough weekends, but this hand I think is would be fine it is I
1: think it's gonna be hard for you to. Construct a strategy that will outperform the range one third and really hard to execute as well
2: yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the hardest thing is that it's just it would be you're i'm I'm stripping away like simplicity for like hopefully more e v with a different different portions of my range um and it's hard to tell like if that's if it's worth the the trade off or not, but yeah, it is definitely way more complex to try to do something like this than just range a third.
1: Yeah. And I think like for the listener, that's just something that you should bear in mind of like, if, if you find some sort of strategic hole like this, like what's the easiest patch? Um, the easiest patch is going to be like, don't split my range. And then how do we not split our range? Like what's the way that makes sense? And I think on this board, if if I'm thinking about like range bets or range checks, I I would think about boards where I don't expect to get raised or villain to have a raising range. Um, I think in those spots, it's a lot easier to just bet your full range when villain's not going to be raising you super wide. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. I think that makes, I mean that. Yeah. That's like the super obvious, uh, super obvious. I think starting point for like what, flops can I just get away with like betting range on and like are they're going to for sure be the ones like I think this is a great example 973 rainbow where I probably would be very very surprised to get raised regardless of what size I see but and those are like the safest ones that you can get away with ranging one third on without getting punished too often
1: absolutely absolutely
2: um so you bet
1: the one half we got see this what happens we're we're not even at like the interesting part of the hand and we're (laughs) we're 15 minutes in so villain calls your half pot size bet, and we get a turn that is a good turn. So for the podcast listener, the flop is nine seven three with a three of hearts. The turn's a four of hearts. John has the ace five of hearts, so he turns a double got shot with a straight flush draw, um, steel wheel draw, and the SPR, there's 500 in the pot. Villain's got 750 left.
2: Tell me about what you're
1: thinking here on this turn.
2: I think this is a turn where I should be playing range check. Um, I think you know, just like one of the super obvious things that this turn brings in is five six now makes the nuts, and five-six would be a very reasonable call on nine-seven three um with a double gutter and, and is certainly going to be defended pre-flop versus the three-bet. Um, it's also going to be a hand that I never have in my three-bet range or in my range here on the turn because I never three-bet it. Um, whereas I would expect my opponent to have the full four combos of five, six suited. Um, so that's like one of the just super obvious things that I see when the four comes on the turn. And then just in general, I think, you know, these low uh, middling to like low boards are going to be it's it's just going to be a board where like I don't have like tons of super strong hands other than over pairs. Like occasionally I have um, I have top and middle set but like, you know, other than that, like my opponent has like all the sets, all the two pairs, all the straights. Um, and he, I'm like missing you have a nines lot of those and sevens, giants. right? Yeah. Nine so like nines and nine sevens. sevens are probably the only two super strong non overpair hands that I have. Um, yeah. So villain
1: I'm, only has like three, uh, three sets of trays, and then four combos of five six. Yeah, they have nine seven suited. Um, yeah, two combos yeah. of that. Yeah, and then we have all the overpairs, right? Right, right. So I don't know that villain necessarily has a ton. Of stronger hands here than we do, because we've got the overpairs and yeah. You know, now that we say it, I mean it's like two combos of nine seven and three combos of trays, and that's really it. Yeah, uh, and the four combos of five six, but with SPR of one point five, I think that I like checking range because you know there's effectively one big bet left, and we've got two streets to play. And I like giving villain an opportunity to stab on the turn with all of my value hands. And if the turn goes check, check, then villain's going to have, typically, a a high concentration of bluff catchers that we can just rip the river. So, like, if turn goes check, check, and then on, like, whatever whatever river, we can basically just 1.5x jam our aces, kings, queens, nines, sevens, those type of hands. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, with basically one bet to, le- to one bet left, I
2: think I just check range here for, for all those reasons. All right. And then you would, versus, if you check range on this turn and then you face the stab from the button, this would be one of your check jams along with some of those super strong hands that you mentioned value betting on the river? Uh, what's interesting is,
1: I don't know that jamming ace five of hearts is necessarily beneficial.
2: Yeah. I mean, we I ever think, fold out better.
1: Yeah. I think like we just have the best hand very often with ace five high. Mm-hmm. So I think I just check call because I think if I am going to check jam, it's going to be a hand like, you know, Jack 10 of hearts. right? Sure. Or 10, eight of hearts if I have that in my three betting range. Yep. Um, just because those hands don't have a ton of showdown equity. I think Jack,
2: Ace-5, I'd probably just call versus most bets. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I doubt that we are folding out better hands by jamming the Ace-5 of hearts here. Um, I'm just trying to think of, like, I don't know if a hand, like, 9-8, like, stabs the turn small and, like, ever folds faces facing a check jam, or maybe a better candidate to ask about would be, like, a strong 7, but that probably doesn't stab the turn and then we're definitely getting folds from all the bluffs that are stabbing the turn. Um, like a hand like ten eight or 8-6 or smaller hearts. I, I doubt like unless they had some, unless they turned some super combo draw themselves, um, they probably aren't stacking off versus a check jam. So really, yeah, we're, we're only folding out. We're mostly folding out better, or excuse me, worse hands by jamming the ace-5 of hearts here. I, I agree. I mean, there is some benefit to jamming versus like 6-8 and jack-10.
1: Um, like we don't get
2: bluffed on rivers we
1: don't we improve don't, on. Yeah, we don't get bluffed and we do fold out uh, their equity, which is like, is, is okay. I, I, I would probably be tempted to consider calling a river bet if we don't improve. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to call sometimes. Yeah. Pace. Like, like you, you, just, and like, I, I like the ace high that we have because we block five, six. I think that's, it's a nice little bitty benefit. Um right. So yeah, like I, I'm probably looking to like call the turn and then most likely just call the river because, if we don't fold out the Jack 10s, the Ten Eights, the six eights by jamming, then they just have more available hands to bluff with on the river where we're just going to have to call more often. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, that, those are kind of my thoughts here on the turn. Uh, villain. So villain chooses a sizing that I don't think it's supposed to be a sizing. Um, Maybe it is. I don't know. Like they go three fourths on the turn. So 346 into 500, they leave themselves with $408 back. Uh, For the podcast listener, the board is nine, seven, tray four with the tray four of hearts. I wouldn't, I would not be expecting this bet, but I guess I'll get your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I was not expecting this bet either. I mean, the size that I encounter most frequently. Um, when I check the turn after C-betting the flop in a three-bet pot is uh, like a block sizing, like anywhere from a quarter to a third. Um, that's sort of what I was expecting in this spot. Um, I have looked at some like sims for three-bet pots and and to see like what size the imposition player should be uh, stabbing turn once the pre-flop three-better checks, checks the turn. And there have been situations where I, I have seen like the solver prefer like a larger size, like a three-quarters or whatever this guy went size on the turn. Um, I don't remember if, like, this situation or this board, this swap texture was one of those spots. Um, but yeah, I, I was also surprised versus this size. And I think, like, generally when I see players pick very large sizes in position in 3-bet pots once once I check the turn as a 3-better, it's, it's a lot of the time it feels like it's players who either don't know or don't want to for some reason, like, don't have the discipline to go for, like, the block size on the turn with, like, even their really strong hands. It could be the case that this guy is just like one of those players, and just has like a really strong hand that he bets for this size on the turn, and like he's checking back pretty much everything else, and and almost never blocks a turn. It's hard to say based on like a tiny sample size, but um, that's what I would be suspicious of: is that this guy is just showing up with uh, only the super strong hands when he picks this size on the turn.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that I think is going to be pretty much the expectation: is that. Villains are not bluffing enough when they choose this size because they have the one third to choose from and they choose this big sizing. I, I just think that like this is more value heavy. Like it's it's just a val more value heavy sizing that is like uh, just kind of to me reeks of greed personally. I yeah, I I'm not jamming the ace five of hearts here on the turn. Um, you know, <laughs> it's a polarized size. And we actually have a hand that does bluff catch fairly well. So I think like calling is probably okay. I also don't think they're going to be bluffing the river if, they, if we do call the turn right and check to them on the river either. Like right. I, think, I think that like our only hope to win against like Jack 10 of hearts is if we go check check because like when we check call here, it's like, okay. <laughs> we, we have like a good hand that we're uh-huh. probably not folding getting a billion to one on the river. Right, right, right.
2: Well, turns out I have one of the hands that I would, I would fold, getting a billion to one on the river. I do call this bet, by the way. Um, How do you I do with have aces like, here on the turn? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, like, I think aces is, like, one of the hands that I would, like, if there was an overpair that I'd be tempted to trap versus the size, it would definitely be aces. I think maybe a slightly better question is, like, what do I do if I hand like, kings, queens, jacks, tens? And I think, like, I, I just, you know, call it, like, lack of discipline or whatever, but I, I would just be overwhelmingly tempted to like check jab my overpairs, facing the size, thinking like, okay, this guy is just. I mean, if he pick like the, one of the things with like an overpair is that like when they incorrectly pick the size with like ten eight or eight six or hearts or something like that, now it's kind of a big deal to like fold out, fold out that equity. I think it's like a it's like a bigger deal than if they. I don't think they're full large. Yeah, yeah, or or whatever, or stack them like get them to just like yeah. get the rest of their stack. Um, either way, like I think it's like it's a way. Uh, like I understand that way better like what I'm trying to do when I jam my over pairs in this situation um, versus someone who might have incorrectly picked the size with with a bluff or a draw um, with ace five though it's just you know I don't think I'm I don't know maybe maybe like it is like reasonable to, to jam the spot and hope that like 10 jack of hearts or like eight six or 10 eight even without hearts like feels compelled to stack off or like a worse flush draw feels compelled to stack off given the price that they're now going to be betting. But I just still think that this size is going to be so value heavy. Um, I don't know. I, I've looked through a lot of hands in my database where the in-position player picks the big size on the turn. And it's, I've, I almost feel like it's always top pair. Plus uh, what's funny is, player. is I think that
1: what, what's, happening here is you're going to call the turn and like the only hands that you check call with are like jack 10 of hearts, Ten Eight of hearts, ACE five of hearts, (laughs) everything, everything else. You're just jamming. Yeah. Um, which is probably not good if villain knows what's going on, but like, it's a hard thing for them to know. But again, I would, I guess, think about my strategy because this, this path that you've chosen, yeah, you don't have a lot of, you just have one, really category of hand that you check call the turn with.
2: Well, I didn't pick this path. This guy made the path with this size. <laughs> this is not the path that I wanted. I did not choose this.
1: <laughs> yeah. He put you, he puts you on this path. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly.
2: <laughs> and I
1: think that's why like that's that's sort of the argument, I guess, for just check raising all in once you face this size, because like at least if you're check raising all in then you've got some hands like this you've got your overpairs, and you don't have to carve out like another check call range but i think that like the way that it went down i'm actually just totally cool with check calling the turn here given that i think villains that are bluffing we've got enough equity to continue the real question uh, just another one before you know this hand's like going way over our normal hand number one uh time allotment but if you make a flush on the river do you just jam or do you check? Cause you, you do end up calling the turn. And so there's like 1200 in the pot. villain has got 400 left. You don't get there on the river. Unfortunately, sorry, tactical Tuesday listeners that we're hoping, hoping to, for us to get there. We don't get there, but if you did, do you just yeah, like, jam? Let's imagine river? that
2: Jack 10 of hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Do so I just jam the river? No, I, I, I... I don't think I would jam the river in game. I think, like, uh, let's just take out the jack-10 of hearts. Let's just stick with the exact hand that I have for now, ace-5 of hearts. I think that the river that I'd be most tempted to jam is the six. Um, Just, you know, it it brings in the four-liner and and maybe, like, some super strong hands that the button has now uh, that, like, might have value bet. Another river does not go for a value bet on a four-liner. I think on a deuce or a heart, though, I would probably just check the river again and hope that either they... Or hope that they stick it in with both their value and if they ever show up with a mistraw, um, one of those as well, yeah.
1: And if they just check back like two pair or set, then
2: oh my god, yeah, that would just yeah, that would be a disaster. Like, if if on like a brick river they check back two pair or set, then yes, I, I would be that would just totally convince me that I should just be jamming every single time I get there, regardless of how I get there. Well, a heart river, heart river
1: right. I think, is the biggest one. Like, a heart river, if they check back, like, a set right, right, on a heart river, right. then that's like, ugh. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know. We'll never know because we don't get a heart. Um, unfortunately, we do check villain jams, and <laughs> uh, we fold our ace five on uh, on, on the eight. Not much bluff-catching possibility here with our, with our ace high, um, considering the eight completes just, like, everything. Yeah. And... Villain shows a hand that I think is very natural. And that's another part of this too, is like whenever villains sort of find this line and put you in it, it's it's like last week, right? Where they found the double check raise with a set. It's just very natural that they find it with a set because that's the hand, that's, it, that's an easy hand to find it with. It's much more difficult to find it with like the two pairs and stuff like that. Um, and right here, you know, they just show a set of sevens, which is like, oh, this is just a very natural hand that finds this path that is, should be, you know, somewhat rare or unexpected. And I think that like, whenever you find yourself at a decision point, um, more often than not, when villains find a rare path, they always find it with their value, right? Like yeah. they're always going to find it with their value because it's very obvious. It's easy to go out on a limb, you know, use a weird size when you've like, got a set um it's much more difficult to find it when you're you have like you know queen jack of
2: diamonds or something like that yeah yeah um, i think you're you're the hand from last week that you're referencing the double check raise hand is like the perfect example like it's really scary to double check raise or try a double check raise with a bluff but when you have a set it's like whatever what what's the worst that could happen yeah. you know i'm just having nuts
1: didn't didn't help me any that like the week before i like double check raise with the straight
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny that we got back, <laughs> to back back to back weeks.
1: yeah in, internally biased by my own, my own play. Um, okay, so this hand number one, a gargantuan 30-minute long Tactical Tuesday. This might be the record for Tactical Tuesday hands. Stick around after the break. John's going to be clueless once again, have no idea what to do. We'll try to help him out. We'll see. Stick around.
0: The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. The Preflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. 8 days of guided training over 60 optimal ranges and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com/bootcamp. Available now.
1: John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp.
3: Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I loved the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable, but I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about bootcamp blew you away? Like it started off slow. Like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, and all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh, my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general.
1: Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience?
3: The most interesting thing about the boot camp—it's a pre-flop boot camp—but I feel like it's done as much for my post-game as it did for my pre-game. Just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well.
1: I know you've studied for a 1,000 hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study?
3: Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap and it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you.
1: If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. right, welcome back from the break. Now me and John have got a chance to take a breath and dive into this second hand where you have an ace and a king of different suits and you're on the button, common thread being you didn't really know what the hell to do. So you can uh, you can break also down also on the turn. <laughs> also on the turn. There you Confusing go. Confusing turn spots. We just found the thread for this. Episode. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Thirty minutes in, we found it. Um, so break down the action for the podcast listener.
2: Yeah. So action starts with me opening the button. Uh, we're a thousand about a thousand dollars effective. Um, small blind three bets. The big blind folds. Um, I four bet to two hundred forty dollars, and the small blind calls. So we're playing a four bet pot. Button versus small blind. I have ace of clubs, king of spades, uh, $490 in the middle. Flop looks amazing on 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 first glance. It's a uh, king of diamonds, jack of hearts, 10 of clubs. So I flop top pair, top kicker, and a gut shot, and a four bet pot. Um, I was just super happy about this flop <laughs> and like ready to go, which is going to be a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, so the small blind checks, which is exactly what we expect. Um, four bet pots, I generally bet a uh, quarter. Um, with my range, uh, for some reason, like I just had like visions of like betting this flop small and then jamming like almost every turn that's kind of safe and like brickish. That was just, I I remember that being my thought in game. Um, so I sized up slightly in position in this four, but pod and went for a third instead of a quarter. I, I don't think that makes like, I don't know. I don't think strategically there's much to talk about there. Um, I don't think anything really changes because of that. The small blind does call the one third. Uh, and then we see the nine of diamonds on the turn. So there's now a four liner on the board. The board is king of diamonds, 10 of clubs, jack of hearts, nine of diamonds. Um, I have ace king, the small blind who has $628 starting the turn, uh, donks on the nine of diamonds for a quarter pot for $210 into 811. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, we we talked about
1: this in Poker Power Hour last week. Had a nice long 30-minute debate on what to do and I think we really just need to like do a little rewind here. Um, Is it even
2: worth talking about like what I was thinking about in game? Like should we even waste everyone's time with like my my thought process or should we just cut to the actual <laughs> the meat of
1: the sand? We get a thirty-minute hand one and a four-minute hand two. <laughs> um, I mean, you could tell me what you thought, I guess. Yeah, so this player, I'll just go over it real bot. quick. I guess yeah. I ended
2: up folding facing this bet. Um, just real quick, like I thought that it's uh, it's pretty tough for the small blind to find natural bluffs in this situation. Um, like one of the only hands I could think of is a hand like Ace Five of Diamonds that like floats the flop pretty right light, and also does not jam pre-flop. It's like one of the hands that you know I would expect to be one of the slam dunk pre-flop bluff jams. It would also have to, again, like I said, call the flop fairly light and then find this lead. Some of the other hands that were mentioned in Poker Power Hour as like reasonable turn bluffs, there's a hand like Ace 10 or Ace Jack um, turning itself into a bluff. That's, I mean, that's even more, I think, unnatural than a hand like Ace 5 of Diamonds. Like, it's tough for me to imagine someone finding the turn donk with uh, with that hand. Um, you said you, they uh, found it quick, right? Yeah, they found this turn donk pretty quickly. It was not like. Uh, yeah, it was, there was no, nothing like suspicious or about it at all or anything like that. It was just like, yep. Okay. This is the turn. This is what I do. on this <laughs> turn. Um,
1: yeah.
2: So yeah, I, I just like was struggling to find bluffs, and like, they have no shortage of queen X, like king queen queen, maybe even queen, jack queen, 10 pocket Queens, every single combo of ace queen is going to peel the four bet preflop. So they just have a lot of straights here. Um, so I just decided to fold and that's, I don't know the long and short of it, but I, I think that's, you know, not even as close to as interesting as like what the correct thing to have done in this hand uh would have been well, we found the thread within the thread, right, so villain
1: found sort of an unnatural bet that kind of threw us for a loop, and they found it relatively quickly right um and we'll get to what villain had in this spot at the end, but it does it ties back into sort of what we said in hand number one. Most interestingly here is on the flop when on King Jack 10 on the button facing a small blind three bet. So you well, don't. Four bet, so we call a uh, four bet. Yeah. Yeah. But facing a small blind three bet, you don't four bet ace queen. Correct. Right. So you have no ace queen in your range. You, you, I don't, do you four bet jacks? Yes. I would four bet jacks and get it in and flat tins, right? Yes. Okay, so you've 4-bet you've jacks. So we have kings in our range, we have jacks in our range, queens in our range, aces in our range. Um, the problem is, Villain has all 16 combos of ace-queen, and we have no combos of ace-queen in our range. And in 4-bet pots, where you have very limited combos to work with, that 16 combos represents like... A significant amount of villains four bet defense range, right? Yes. So with Ace King here, um and we ran this in the solver. Uh somebody else ran it in a different solver last week and said that like ace king is a pure bet. The solve that you ran said ace king is a pure check, right? And that our range is a pure check.
2: Yes. So I uh before we started recording this podcast, just ran a quick solve for this spot and um My sim had me checking back the flop 94% of the time. Which makes sense because, like, when villain, like,
1: in this situation compared to like the last spot, in the last spot, like, this is a four bet pot. So you have much fewer combinations of hands, and villain has all the nuts, and we have none of the nuts. And that's just a really big deal. Um, so even though this board like looks like our board, it's not actually
2: our board. It's their board. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's the most important part of the hand. was like, I was just totally blinded by like, Oh yes. Like triple Broadway <laughs> King high. I'm the four better. Like this is, yeah. this is great. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly what you said. It's like, I never have the nuts here. or uh, another way to put It's like the best hand that I have on this flop is Kings. And that hand is not super excited about getting all the money in on this in the situation when like the small blind has 16 combos of ace ace queen um and i have zero and like the best hand that i can stack off with is is a set that is like pretty uncomfortable about well it's not a lot of money in it's not blind. just that you know
1: it's like villain rips jacks pre and probably yeah. tens too so like if you have a set of kings and villain wants to get the money in and they don't have jacks and they don't have tens well <laughs> yeah they just probably always have ace-queen when you when uh, you get yeah. get it in here with your kings, right? Yep. yep. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's... And I think too, like by checking back, uh, I don't think you're giving a significant amount of equity to villain when they have their, you know, their hands like king-queen suited or I guess they have queen-jack suited, pocket nines or pocket eights, those type of hands that flat, um, they don't have a ton of equity. So anyway, I, I think like, you know, Solver agrees with
2: my PPH analysis and just like pure checking flop. Right. So like if I could try to kind of condense your analysis or like the takeaway from this hand um, into something a little shorter, it's, <laughs> I, I guess I would describe it as like in really tight formations, for example, four bet plots between like any two formations, if you never have the nuts or, or almost never have the nuts, you should just be checking range as the four better.
1: Yeah. I mean, and villain does like, right, that's, an, right. that's another part, like villain has nuts in full. And I mean, we're really talking about something like 70 to 90 combinations of hands that they're flatting the four bet with. Right. So 16 of them being the nuts yeah. is not an insignificant amount. Uh, like
2: 20, more than 20%.
1: Right. Like yeah. that. And that's, that's just a really big deal. So Anyway, yeah, that's, that's sort of, I think, the, the major takeaway here. When Villain has, in formations that are very tight, Villain has full all the nuts, and we don't. Um, we probably don't want to bet, even with hands that look as good as Ace-King. Right. Uh, and now we can just go back to the turn in the way that this hand went down. So Villain led a quarter, you folded. And tying back into what we talked about in the first hand, when opponents use a... An unnatural line. Um, it's much easier for them to find it with their good hands, and villain does end up having a queen. So they have queen jack of spades, uh, and I I do think that that ties right into our our first hand. Nice and neat. We can wrap this sucker up, put a bow on it.
2: Yeah, I I much prefer. When villains find weird lines, they probably have it over. John didn't know what to do in either of these hands as the <laughs> as a the unifying theme. <laughs> well, the good news is I think it's there, these are like very
1: natural spots to not know what to do because villains are finding unnatural lines. So that that just makes sense, right? Um all right. So nice. We we only lasted 10 minutes in the second hand. So thank you for listening to this episode of Tactical Tuesday. Um, If you haven't joined the Chasing Poker Greatness VIP newsletter, invested in the courses, done all the things to support what me and John do here on Tactical Tuesday and what I do three other days a week on the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. Get in there, upgrade your cash games, make more monies, all the things. And then what's left for them To do, John.
2: Back. See us next week.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com to get the newsletter, join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.